Welcome to the Wondrous Atlas of Creation's Destiny, your podcast guide to all places and plots exalted. I'm Raz. And I'm Aramithius. And just before we get started on all of the wondrous story hooks that you can start playing with with House Veneef, if you want to drop us any emails, do that at wondrousatlas at gmail.com. We are also on Twitter at wondrousatlas. Um, if you want to let us know how we're doing for how the show is, is it good? Is it great? Is it meh? However, let us know. Do give us a review on whatever podcast platform you are listening and we will pick it up. And if you want to support the show monetarily, we are Drive Through RPG affiliates. So there are affiliate links in the description if you are watching this as a video or in the show notes. If you are listening to this as a podcast, then do find those links and use those. We do get kickbacks from whatever you purchase through Drive Through RPGs. Our lore episode does have a list of things that we've referenced so if you want exalted books in particular check those out but otherwise anything you go through with that link will support us so thank you very much but now we are kicking off with the kind of stories you can tell with house Veneef, which is basically a very mixed bag the main thing is kind of whatever stories you want (laughs) immediately because they don't have that many strong themes is the big thing. So if in doubt for the way a particular thing works, make it a Veneef thing. Yeah. Is your immediate start. They do have some themes though. Yeah. Most of them are centered around just how fresh they are. They are a very precarious house. They're a very new house. They're stumbling. They're doing their Bambi on ice bit, trying to figure out who they are, what they are. You can go very, very anime if you want to do some properly young Veneefs just out of, or even potentially in high school, coming to to like they're exalted, that figuring out who they are, not just as people and dragons, but also as a house. What does it mean to be? Basically, you can do the story of Bleach, but with less cool ghost magic. <laughs> yeah, but you also potentially. Uh, it also, I suppose, depends on quite how big your playgroup is as well as to how convincing it is. But you also get an opportunity to define what Veneef is. Yeah. And this might be a bit too much control for some storytellers to hand their players, but I think it's a fascinating idea. Oh, no, I, abs- I like that. Yeah, I absolutely love the idea of kind of having some pivotal events that basically mean that what the house is or what the main institution that player characters are part of has to change. Like it's also why I love running Convention of Thorns games for Vampire the Masquerade because you get to help define what the Camarilla is or the Sabbat is or yeah. whatever. But Veneef gives you the chance to say, well, we want the house to move in this particular direction and build quite a few high up characters within the house's structure and have them as PCs potentially or just NPCs that you're playing around with because the house is so small that they can have outsized influence compared to other houses. It's the Nellens thing, but without the caveat of you're never going to be near the top dog. Yeah. Because like, just by being a, a Veneef Dragonblood, you stand a good chance of actually having massive influence because they just aren't enough. Yes. You can also do it as a nice fancy little critique of the realm through all the sort of outcasts and the passing upstairs people coming in and being like, oh, what's all this? What's a gala? You can do that scene, again, from Pirates of the Caribbean, of Elizabeth Swan with the corset. Yes. The kind of, how on earth do we function? I mean, they have had some softening up at the mirror, or they should have had, if they are properly brought in lost eggs. 
So they're not total aliens to that notion, but they're still enough of an alien that you can start playing around with the idea, particularly as you bring them into more mature realm existences that the player characters can think, how does this work? Should it work that way? And so on. So Here's one for you. Okay. Since modern Venice basically lays claim, presumably before you even finish your education, young Venice game at the mirror. Yes. So you can properly focus on the coming from little sort of... I'm seeing the intro to Aladdin, of all things, here, of the proper little urban street people suddenly having to be noble and not knowing what that means. Yeah, and that's also potentially, if you have new players, then it's a good way of breaking them into the exalted setting. Maybe sort of run it as, well, depending on how serious you want the action to be, and kind of roll that. I, I would personally run that as... And maybe a session or two of prologue and roll it into their yeah. exaltations. Uh, actually, and have them have them exalt, shipped off to the mirror, and have it as just a prologue to a larger game that's either secondary schools or later on in their lives, just so you have that kind of glimpse yeah. rather than making it the substance of it. Because otherwise, you're going to have a lot of sessions that are very, very info dumpy. Yeah. The other one, the other big thing beneath, I'm going to be banging the same drum I was banging in the Netherlands one. They're a stand-in for change and progress. We, we covered <laughs> this in the lore episode where the difference lies, but there isn't much of one, frankly. Beneath well, is a lot more raw focus of time and the vitalism of youth and all of that, whereas Nellens is more of a move from noble to mass. Yeah, that also ties in with sort of the wood thematics of Venif in a way that yeah. it doesn't really with Nellens. And the, the difference that we sort of came up with in the lore episode was that Nellens is more about social change than Venif, whereas Venif has the potential for technological change and change from within in a way that Nellens doesn't really. The other one that I, I've listed down here in our little script to lift the veil for you again as a separate theme, but really just comes from an explanation here. And this was one that came purely while we were talking in the lore episode. Yep. She's just Meiji. She's just Emperor Meiji. Yes, because you have the opportunity to modernise everything and so like, on and so forth. Go read some books or look at some YouTube videos about like the entire thing of the end of Senegal Jedi and the Meiji Restoration, because A, it's a really cool history, but B, that's just mm. what House Venith is. All of that, you can take. It's her. That's her. <laughs> yeah, it's just a fantastic case study on how you can do things. I mean, there is the temptation here to kind of veer into woo guns and how revolutionary that is. No, do not do that thing. It is going to feature in the Venif military, but I don't think that that will necessarily change yeah. how the other houses operate. Where Venif will bring change is at the institutional level and as empress. So, the, You can go ooh guns, but all that gives her, I know it's a very big all that gives her, but all that yeah. gives her is the ability to actually use mortals reliably yes. as a fighting force. That yes. is a big thing, but given what exalts can do, it's not that big a thing. It lets her reach wider. It doesn't necessarily let her punch deeper. Yeah, it might be an interesting thing, again, if you want to do a Nellens tie-in, because they already have the the relationships with mortals in a way that Venif doesn't. But it's just a question of how you get those houses to tie up. It's, again, two sides of the same change coin, <laughs> Now, I the suppose. flip side, if you want to do something fun with the Venif technology change, and I will full-on take hat off and say, this one has much less of a solid grounding in, in the fluff we were given, but still ties with the themes. Mm -hmm. So, 
when Exalted Crafting gets real good, it can do some real fun things. Venif Genesis Evangelion. Venif <laughs> Mech Team, as you get the first yeah. Warstriders Striders actually made instead of dug up. Yeah, and they'll although- be scuffed little things, and they'll be you can probably make them as much characters as the players yep. in that they're temperamental and they're not working. Yep. But it ties into the into the thing as as the forward progression of time, and also is a cool way to do another anime trope that Exalted Third doesn't like leaning into, second loved leaning into. Yeah, I don't know. I'm still a little sketchy because Venif don't have the background in artifacts too much. I would say that that, that sort of thing is much more a Ladal Namon thing. Yeah, but Ladal wouldn't make new ones. Ladal would just be like, the ancients knew what they were doing. And Nemon would say that it's all evil and the only person that should have a mech is Nemon, who will have a giant mech that looks like Nemon's head and shoots lasers out of his eyes. Yeah, but you need to come up with a reason yeah. for a lot more institutional knowledge well, than Venif has, I think. Yeah, Venif are, are what you make to be. True. So you have it be a party thing. It's not the house of Venif has all done this. It's your party went to the heptagram. Yeah, heptagram do artifacts as well as true magic. And they make, they, they come out of it. Their thesis project is mech. No, 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 no. Neon Genesis Evangelion is the wrong reference point, I've determined. If we want to. I know, but it's the one that the name tracks for no, better. No, no. If you want to do this properly and have all of the other Venif themes in there, you want to have Venif Pacific Rim because it's water, because they're fighting monsters. Yeah. Have a circle of Venifs just go off in War Striders and fight the Lintha. Right. <laughs> no. Oh, you're saying the Lintha. I was going for the opposite one of Grandmama. Yes. You know the Merchant Navy can't beat Peleps in a stand-up fight. Yeah. Yes. What if we used a mech instead? <laughs> yeah, well, I was going on the whole idea of, well, the Jaegers are fighting giant beasties. Sea monsters, yeah. Sea monsters, which the, which is, the Lintha which have. Which is I, I like the idea of having mechs. To be fair, you're probably seeing massive Pacific Rim scale things. I'm seeing oh. sort of Gundam scale. They're smaller but flyy. And using that to just bap into Pelops warships. Yeah. That fits with the scale of War Striders anyway, because War Striders, as much as we say woo mechs, are not that big. They're yeah. only sort of, I want to say about thir- um, 30 feet tall max, if memory yeah, serves. They're, they're Gundam scale yeah. rather than anything else. But yeah, beneath mech game, I would say it requires a sort of prologue extended session zero where you basically do the whistle-stop tour of your time at the heptagram or wherever else you're educated. But I love the idea, again, of the Venif as the case of advancement. This isn't some big institutional thing. This is something, some plucky little circle of Venifs that went into that field because they wanted to, for whatever reason, have managed to do, and they're the first because they're the young ones that had the new idea that the old man Bagway said was stupid and would never work. And it's all of that vitalism. Yeah, and you can do interesting kind of Pacific oh. Rim type things because of We're how it, because of how it gets to work, how it works. Okay, We're both wrong in terms of reference. It's not Why? Evangelion. It's not Pacific Rim. It's Power Rangers. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> They're all the Green Ranger. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> um, oh, <laughs> this this is too great. This this is the one yeah. good thing about Venif. They're so they're so blank slatey that you can just come up with deranged stuff like this. Yes, um, you can. And it's... you really do have to give them a theme. Whether you let yeah. the players decide that or you as the ref sort of do it aside, you do have to give Venif uh, Venif a theme, even if that theme is they don't know what their theme is. Yeah, and then just let it be steered by the players, which is 
an interesting proposition, but a risky one. If you are going to do that sort of thing, have out-of-character conversations about where the players want to take it first. Give them a roadmap to follow, uh, or at least let them determine the roadmap so you can build the road for them. Because if they are going to build them a theme, they need to know roughly where they're going. You can't just say, go and do whatever you like, otherwise it's just going to end up with a mess pulling in various different directions, and no one's going to be on the same page. So... Because there are multiple directions to take it. You could try and make them a socialite house, at which point you're leaning into something they've already got you doing. You're doing your parties, you're doing your... Again, you will still be distinct from Sinus and the other social houses because yours isn't about what you can give. Yours is going to all be the cult of personality. Yes, Versus... and I would also say that if you're going to do beneath social games, the fir- important first step is is intra-house social stuff that you've got to have the getting alongside with your own house in a way that nowhere else does. And the thing with Veneef, just to sort of jump out of sequence in our thing here, that makes that work, I would posit that Veneef are the exception to the general rule we've had of don't let your players constantly meet the important people in the house. Yep. Veneef is small enough that one or two big galas and you've met everyone who matters. Yes, so feel free to and pull everyone Vanif in. because is desperately trying to build an identity, they are all turning up. Yes, but then they've also got their own pet projects, which means that yeah. they will scatter to the winds enough that they won't exert too much narrative weight on what you're trying to do and leave the players as spectators. And generally speaking, I mean, I have not crunched the points for this particularly, but... I think that if you wanted to have the one that runs the Merchant Navy, they're going to be a bit more powerful points-wise than your starting Dragonblood. But there's not going to be that much of a difference in power level between any given Venif and your Venif. So there's that to level the playing field as well. You've not got people that are centuries old and have the weight of the institutions behind them to crush whatever the PCs want to do. You're all in the same boat. Yeah. So really, all you have to do is one or two to support your plan to build neck. <laughs> the, yeah. I, I, genuinely, as well, as much as I'm joking about it with the mech, if you want to lean into the Venefa's technological advancement thing, it is as simple as went to the heptogram. Venefa doesn't send many there, but the Lady Venefa is trying to get more people sent there. Didn't take to sorcery, but did take to craft. follows through yep i think vanifa's technological advancement weirdly i think it has mileage to it but you have to contrast it with the way ladal does it because the way ladal does it is digging up old stuff that is very cool and great and works amazing whereas vanif i think should be explicitly no you are trying to make new stuff you might not even be doing it from old designs you may be genuinely going at scientific method here Mm. Yeah, which you would have probably have to call something else because the scientific method is something that feels it feels a little alien to how Exalted works. Don't worry. We're doing our maker thing as a game on the call. I will explain how you use the scientific method. Ha <laughs> ha. You've just seen where I'm going with this. <laughs> yes. Yes, I have. <laughs> Anyway, we will get to that later. <laughs> so, yes, PC games that you can do with House Venef. As we sort of mentioned, there's lots of things you can do here. It really, the big one here, having everyone be Venef is the easiest way to let your players build almost any character they could conceive of and have them easily in a party without any conceit. Yep. 
because the whole house is basically a whole bunch of outcasts and they've suddenly been brought together under this banner. They've had a few decades to kind of get to this new idea of this thing called House Veneef, but they're still trying to kind of feel their way. And so you can basically have anything hang together. And the new identity is also going to be, as much as it's going to be a thing that will allow anything to happen PC-wise, it will also be something which paints a target on them. And so it will force them to stick together. It's one of the more cohesive and diverse mono house games you can run, in my opinion. Yeah. Then past that, really, there's two defaults. There are more poetic names, but I think the easiest way to put it is styling on Perlaps or styling on Nemon. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, you can style on Perlaps by doing any number of West things. You can do is trade or yep. naval sabotage or any other sort of nonsense. Yep. And the kind of the un- the underdog war in the West is the thing because yeah. the way that the war in the West is written in as the Shogunate is that it is very much sort of expected that Pelops will just kind of roll out and win, whereas Venif has to do things sort of the irregular warfare way. They have to kind of be on the back foot, bring people in, make potentially uneasy alliances to pull this together. I don't think it's particularly viable that Venif gets buddy-buddy with Leviathan, but you can certainly start playing around with things like that, maybe getting some Lunas on side and such, if your party is that way inclined, and just getting coalitions of the people who do not want Peleps to stamp all over them, and yeah. that sort of thing, relying on the fact that Venif has been a good landlord for those satrapies that they've actually run, so they have a decent-ish reputation to play yeah. on for the West natives. And when you style on Nemon, it's less going to be like that, and it's more going to be playing into the mortal half of it, which, again, we kind of went over in the lore half by, by Nemon, despite not having as big an overt tie to mortals as, say, Nelans, still kind of works very nicely with them. And it will be the case of basically going in, presenting yourselves as the young, vibrant, face of change and progress as compared to iron-fisted Nemon rule and yeah. the, the revolution sparking game that is normally reserved for immaculate punks, which given that we pointed out that they weirdly don't mention cloister graduates in, in Venif's Lost Egg collection, you could be yes, it proper could work immaculate really nicely. monk that's just causing trouble for House Nemon. Yeah, and I could actually see that just as a general kind of Make this as a new satrapy, one of the very few. And because House Namon is one of the bigger fish out there, they've been shown that they are kind of a strong hand, potentially. I mean, Giara shenanigans aside, they are reasonable hands at this. And you can then make Vanif pitch up and say, look, we don't have many. We are the voice of change. We will do this. And you can have those proper political squabbles kind of knocking against each other. I don't think you would pitch it at sort of the deliberative level but at the local politics level and not necessarily who gets to be the satrap because you're not dealing with de jure stuff here you will be dealing with de facto stuff Mm. because whatever the deliberative decrees everyone's going to ignore and just that would be an assumption for that sort of a game that if it's given to namon or if it's something that namon has recently conquered despite most of their things being in the east, then if Namon conquers it and then Venif gets handed it through deliberative shenanigans, you've got to contend with the Namon military force, which will not leave, and then the new administration trying to do good things while having a very oppressive, very traditional Namon garrison there as their weapon of last resort or 
first resort, depending on how ambitious the garrison commander is, you've got all of those lovely political tensions that you can play up as to what Venif wants to be and what Nimon is stopping them from being. I also am kind of adoring the idea of being the Venif ones that are, especially if you're magistrates. Weirdly, we haven't mentioned magistrate games yet. We'll no. get there. Being the ones that are, if there is like, either an inheritance crisis, there's no like way a house can take control of something, or if a house is losing something, but they're not sure who to, and there's all that fighting. Just going in there and causing, not it's not the proper just, oh, let's solve this and find a good solution thing. It's specifically going in there with the goal of, I don't care who wins, but let's make problems for Nemon and or Pelex. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We're just going to make this difficult for them. Because that strikes me as the sort of thing that would, A, be kind of funny to play, and B, be the sort of thing that Vanif probably would order, because it's enough that they can't get overtly angry about it, especially if she uses magistrates that she schmoozed, because you can't yep. question the loyalty of a magistrate. No. Um, yeah, not. that's the other thing. Magistrate games where you're not actually doing magistrate jobs, you're doing Vanif's jobs. Yes. And just generally... Having things done for you out of Eagle Prefecture, using that as a home base uh, is another one. That's more a location-based thing, but I can certainly see magistrates being... Well, you can do either side of it, really. Have the PCs trying to hunt down a magistrate that's under Venif's protection and making a job of it because there's a great house overtly backing them, or having a magistrate trying to extend some kind of authority out of Venif territory, being tarred with Venif's brush, which can make things difficult or can make things more easier to deal with, depending on how it works uh, and yeah. whatever makes it easier for your game to run or more interesting for your game to run, I should say. Yeah. Then we get to move on to the NPCs, I suppose. This, yeah. We are going quite quick here, but that's mostly because yeah. a lot of Vanif is just tarred with your idea here. Um, Pretty much. So, yeah, uh, if you're doing Civil War things, Vanif basically becomes a figurehead for everyone who doesn't like Nemon which is ah. everyone with a brain. A figurehead or an active participant, depending on where your players sit uh, within the house structure, then Venif could be leading the thing from the front or could just be sitting there looking pretty and being the legitimising factor between I, what your players are doing. I almost imagine that another potential angle of struggle if your game if, is, especially if your players off houses that are not Venif. Beneath is brought into whatever coalition there is as your legitimizing factor, your binding clue, with the sort of understanding of you're going to be a figurehead, you're going to sit there and let House Kathak and whoever else you've got on side do the heavy lifting. And then you're having to deal with the sort of struggle of she's trying to pull strings and make things go her way the yes. whole time. From there, while desperately sitting there, convincing, of course not, sitting here and looking pretty like you asked. <laughs> yeah, so you have a kind of quasi-antagonist of Venif the character, while still having to keep her on side and do what she wants, so to speak. That's yeah. a really interesting <clears throat> conceit. And especially, again, with, I said Kathak just off, off the head there, but with House Kathak, especially if Kanan's still alive, this really works because it's, it's Kathak Kanan. He doesn't want to make a decision. You, the party, are then having to deal with the fact that she's constantly trying to sway him, and yeah. that's not hard to do. <laughs> no. Well, you you make you make the right immaculate noises until maybe get there, but he's not totally he's spineless. Not spineless, no. But equally, as we sort of covered, he has a bit of a chip on his shoulder about ever making a decision for himself. Mm-hmm. Yep. And yeah, yep. I I have beef with Catholic Canaan. Um, <laughs> You can yes. you can also use Venif's as your fish out of waters. The 
sort of ex-outcast who came from somewhere that is very, very not realm flavored. And despite the training meaning that they can put on a passable facade, this is not their home environment. No. And so they can kind of point questions and ask, isn't that weird? Or anything, uh, not necessarily towards clues, but again, as sort of as realm critique is the main thing to do here. I mean, you can use it as clues, but it's a compare and contrast between different ways of presenting the realm is the main thing. I'd almost do it that, like, for the bulk of it, you have it just be general realm critique. You put one in there that is, a, that is an actual clue so that the general MP and perhaps even PC reaction is, oh, he's just not getting how we do it here. No. And it's like, no, he's actually caught something. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's a question of spotting what. Yeah. Mm. I'm also seeing now the images here. Isn't it weird how we overlook all of that? Just sort of gesturing at the ragger or currently stabbing someone in a dark alley. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's one thing. I always feel that social critique needs to be present in realm games because I don't ever, ever want players to get fully comfortable with the realm being yes we're the good guys yeah that that's I mean, bad i tend to do that by showing just other exalts uh, yeah. <laughs> which is the quickest way to make the realm oh yeah they are trying to kind of do genocides yeah although there is the flip side of that of showing the realm still doing bad stuff and no one objecting or the players being unable to do something about it because their people are the ones stopping them yeah you can do merchants if if Exalted had more of a tendency for shopkeeps like D&D does, they would all be Venefs. Well, not all. You'd have a decent amount of Nellons in there as well. This but... is true. Venef Vintner is an archetype that you can go for. Yes, which is quite sweet. And yeah, just any point of things connected to the wine industry is, uh, is another thing that uh, these are probably where you're going to get also, you're going to get old Venefs in this. Potentially, this is the bit where you get pre-house Venef Venefness. You get the heritage built around that rather... It's a rather narrow core, but it's still something that's sort of expanded out. And there's that institutional stuff where they don't have it elsewhere. I raised you as a character to use in any of your games. Just because it's a beautiful little archetype. You've got your old, crusty-looking beneath Vintner, who's been running his vineyard for several millennia and makes some of the, the best wine that anyone has ever drunk. Actually, in a Celsi, does one <laughs> poisoning, and that's what the party have to investigate. And it's the old sweet man that runs the vineyard <laughs> who's actually in a Celsi. And you get House Venef coming down like hammers because they've damaged our wine image. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it would be absolutely terrible if they did that. And I also but... love the idea of it's the old vineyard man. <laughs> yeah, you're just trying to reskin Venef Jagen at this point, aren't you? Or Jagen, how are you pronouncing? Venef, yeah, Venef Jagen, but he's actually in a Celsi and you have to investigate a little murder at a wine tasting event. And it's yeah. actually the host as opposed to... And you make sure every other NPC has a very good reason to poison the person who got poisoned. Yes. You just need to figure out the how. And the only way to do it is if you have access to the wine beforehand at, at yeah. the end of it all. Which means it's either someone within the household, which is another rabbit trail to trace down. And just everyone kills the Nellons in the background while you're trying to figure <laughs> out which mortal did it. Yeah. And yeah. It's great. But anyway, the other one as well, this more acts as set up to the slight head cannon that we both made in the lore episode of what House Venef can get up to. Yeah. We mentioned the social critique thing. You can do it with your fish out of water, guys. I would also say as well, you can probably do it with some of the hardcore internal ones as well, just because House Venef 
of all the houses is the one that kind of loses in the way that this, the whole system is currently stacked. Yep. You can have a genuine social critique of a lot of the structure of the realm without going full Nellens, dragons don't matter. You mm-hmm. can you can have the mid-ground, you can have your Venif constitutionalists who are like, no, dragons are important. And there is something to be said for a ruling class that lives three times as long as the rest of them and has literal superpowers, but we need rules and we need to break up these big aristocratic cliques. I know we're a house as well and that's going to hurt, but this system makes it... Is, you can use this instead of the other ones, which is empire bad. You can use these sorts of characters as a focus of the house system is a bad way to organise an empire. Yes. Even if you're... If you don't want to go full empire bad, just this is not a way to empire. Bonus mm. point if you use them in a threshold game, weirdly, by comparison to any other civilization that doesn't have this going for it. Yeah. But it's like a lot of the problems yeah. we have, they just don't because they don't yep. have these big aristocratic blocks built around cults of personality going. Yeah. And then you have to go along what, what the other lines are and how, it, and how it shakes out. I think that would be difficult to sort of bring in in any measurable way if you're not doing the Civil War. Yeah. But then again, it's, we're doing houses. Civil War is always an option. Yeah, it's true. I mean, this is something that sort of came up with the Fall of Giara actual play. That wasn't really dealing with the realm civil war. They were dealing with putting down a local rebellion. But there are sort of the seeds of a better way to run the realm by using the satrapy as a microcosm was more or less how the game played out. So you can do that. There's one other way you can do this without having to go full civil war or satrapial microcosm thing. Mm-hmm. Tomb Raiding game. You start digging into some old first age city that got ruined or whatever like that. Yeah. And you start finding out how, potentially even by ghosts, I like using ghosts for these things. Yeah. How it went, how it collapsed, how it ran. And you can have the slow, hey, that's a good idea about how to do it. Why aren't we doing that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the only problem with that is that the first age had god kings. Yes, but also your Venif, who wants to be the Empress. <laughs> uh, true. And even then, even if you're not a proper God King one, the First Age is always kept vague enough, even in Dreams of the First Age, yeah. that you can kind of say, yeah, there was one Solar who had enough of a big pet thing about this. He's probably a Twilight or an Eclipse, because this is the sort of nonsense they'd get up to, who just wanted to see what it would be like if you let them run their own things or something like that, t- just as an experiment. Um, and yes, it comes down to the whole creepy, it's all in a glass ball for someone's amusement thing. Yeah. It still worked. <laughs> and you can still learn something from it. Yeah. And yeah, it's it's odd little ideas that I like using weird first age shenanigans. Yeah. Um, yeah. We get to the locations, magistrates and eagles launch, I mentioned this earlier. You can kind of politic in the call. There are more interesting things to do in the call than politic, I would argue, but can, uh, can politic there. Yes, because that whole thing is basically that you have the House of the Rootless Tree as a stronghold for the Venif within Faxi. And it's basically the idea of they're trying to be pushed out by most of the more militaristic houses on the call. Can you keep Venif with a toehold in the call is the key thing there. And well, it depends on how the whole politicking shakes down. If they fail at kind of securing all of the alliances that they need to try and get everyone on side on the call, there's some nods in side to some militias forming and that sort of thing under the auspices of the garrison commanders and one or two of the Namons there, ironically. So you have lots of 
semi-independent power blocks on Faxi that aren't quite conventional realm politics. So you have windows into that and pieces that you can manoeuvre to potentially try and support Veneef. But you could also potentially have the first arc of that be a failure for Veneef. And then you've got the next step as Peleps kind of moves in trying to take Veneef's assets as a very, very intense sort of siege of the House of the Rootless Tree. And basically have that as something rather self-destructive, potentially as as a prelude to doing something with Luna so you can see the other side and kind of tell a more holistic call story. This is involving multiple chronicles I'm sort of making up on the fly here, but telling the story of the realm's fall from Faxi is going to be an interesting one and is going to involve Veneef on some level would be a really interesting way of playing that out. Another one I would say if you want to be politic, less grand, big one, more local little. Out in the West, one of those little not Satrapial but still trying to cut deals with islands that there are about 53 quintillion of out there. Just a little game one sort of chronicle of party of beneath people, enemy party, and I think you would have to make them like genuinely equal numbers, and this is a small-scale operation of Pelex guys. Just try and finagle the locals and see who you can get on side. And it's a sort of prelude to the war in the West sort of thing, but in the purely diplomatic field. Yes. I would almost make that as something on Nansha, because you've yeah. already got the local resentment of the populace, and so Pelops can be sort of stoking them as a way to do it, because was- Pelops does not need to take it over. Pelops has all of their various own shipyards within Wavecrest, and so they can just burn it to the ground and have no real loss. So you've got potentially got a Pelops game where you're trying to okay. have the place sabotaged, or you've got the flip side of the Veneef game of what is behind this? Is this local descent? Is this something else that's going on that we need to kind of address local concerns and everything's going to be fine? Or is this someone else who is perhaps coming in and doing everything wrong? You can also kind of make this a kind of a man-on-the-spot type of game okay. where they are perhaps there for a spring break kind of thing, having come off the fleet, and they just get caught in the chaos. And the and the initial strike to deal with the authority on Nansha goes really well, and they are the highest ranking beneath in the area. So you can try and stabilise the situation. I don't want to say that's a sort of different game. Different because that, what I assume is yep. basically, you've got your island, you'd probably okay. make it up entirely as a ref, that is not a satrapy, Maybe that it's in a weird enough place that it just doesn't interact with the realm that much. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which out in the West, that's the one place you can kind of do that, where you yeah. have places that genuinely just don't. Yeah. Well, I'd argue the East as well, but this is Vidif. East in a very different way. Yes. In the East, they're doing it by choice. In the West, you can genuinely see they do it by accident. But your Vinif and your Pelops arrive at the same time by whatever contrivance, maybe session one being a little, little use the sail rules for the one time in human history someone used exalted sail rules trying to sort of race for it. And it's the case of convince the local power structure that they want you as their friend, sort of thing, competitive with some Peleps ones. I see this as more, not quite light-hearted, but for whatever reason, perhaps the locals actually have forces and or are actually quite magical or whatever. You're not putting any fights out here, not without endangering the whole thing and getting everyone kicked out. But I've seen it as sort of more light-hearted, try and schmooze and finagle your way around your Pelex people 
who are going to be, we are the honourable, noble, blah, 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 and your party can go on and try and bribe and charm and all of that. Yeah. It's that sort of thing of competitive diplomacy, I think is the only word I can use to describe what I'm seeing in my head. Yeah, I'd make it so that the island is comparatively resource rich, so that it's not the case that you do what the Europeans did with the West Indies and give them some trinkets in order for for land leasing. You have to make it actively competitive. And I, I also would, it's tricky with that though to also not make it that you can't just resources your way out of the problem. Someone who has resources five just comes along and does whatever. Easy way to do that. It requires, again, a bit more shifting and some people going, oh, but the books would have meant it, but it's the West. You can, just, you can put an island with that here. That's kind of the point of the West. Kind of like how Chiaroscuro was attempted at a first age Megapolis that's yep. now just sort of fallen out and done. First age resort. Mm. They want for nothing. Yep. And you're thinking, oh, all the resources, all the magic, all the this, that, and yeah. the other you can get from there. But you can't bribe them. They have that first stage thing that can make them shiny gold stuff whenever they want, that works <laughs> even if they are ad making it, thinking that they have to do this when actually they do that, just because time is forgotten or whatever. So you can't resources your way out of it. And the flip side, the reason Peleps aren't just coming in with the gunboats is they've got all this. Yeah. This is the first stage. We haven't seen defences, but <laughs> that doesn't mean there aren't any. <laughs> yes. That sort of yeah. paranoia of if they've got this much sort of first age shenanigansry around that we can't bribe them, what's the likelihood of a horrible, horrible weapon that will kill us if we try for an invasion? So we are having to deploy. Yeah, that also kind of keys into some of Venice's themes more generally then, because the way that I would then have that, if they don't want for anything, then... It's a case of offering them people and society are what you then have to rely on. And so the key to that is saying, well, we can offer you a future. We can offer you a vision of how you fit in with the rest of the world. You can even go for the social critique of like, if you have to try and sell them on the realm, you can then literally just go for the straight up thing of, no, that sounds awful when they describe some fundamental part of how the realm works. <laughs> and the Venif have more of a leg to stand on than the Pelops with, yeah. we can change that. <laughs> or we want to change that. Again, if you're using this as a prelude for a Civil War game, something like a First Age Enclave that doing something and is not really decided about who they're fighting for, then this could be one of the tipping things for a certain point in the war in the West. If you can bring a First Age Arsenal online to be vaguely friendly to Venif or antagonistic towards Venif, depending on how the game goes, yeah. then it can swing part of the war in the West one way or the other. And yeah, it's sort of thing of, yeah, it requires you to make a relatively big player, but this is what my gut keeps saying. If you have someone who wants to be your Magitech history nerd trying to figure out what it was, resort rather than installation. Yeah. So it's the case of, yeah, this is big, but it's not going to be like world shatteringly big. It's yeah. Like, the reason I'm sort of putting this here is my gut is saying you could put this in a village in the scavenger lands and no one would care. And or, I think that is the metric. Yeah. Or you could make it a white elephant. You could make it so that it's clearly first age. No one quite understands how it works. And part of it is figuring out that it's actually entirely useless for most things other than day-to-day living. And so yeah. you get the other side to bid up and bid up and bid up and waste a whole bunch of time and resources trying to get these guys Bonus on side. if they only figure that out after they've started the competition. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And- Desperately trying to think, oh god, we came on too hard, they can't beat us. Help. Yeah. 
Your party trying to sabotage themselves by deliberately doing faux pas. <laughs> but also, just again for the little funny image, now that I've got in my head here, this first age, Chiaroscuro has that old ghost of the granny that is the landlady. You've got some cantankerous bound spirit here that is like the, I'm seeing like white jacket and mm, yes. Yes. basically the butler spirit that is bound to make sure you have a wonderful time and is just having none of any of your nonsense. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you'd have to be quite limited with that one though, because if you make it too much of an all-encompassing intelligence in whatever form, then you will find someone who will monkey around with it, get some combination of charms, and will it then the thing will just Come spit out spit out all the answers is more what yeah. I was going for. And you okay. can't have them do that. It needs to be a journey that, to for that sort of thing. Yeah, that's why I'm kind of seeing less crafted intelligence, more genuinely just like yeah. if it is on an island as compared to some first stage artificial shenanigan. It was just some local minor spirit or god like you get everywhere in the West that the Twilight who built this thing was just like, okay, let's tweak. And basically, it has all the capacity of a butler. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Bonus point as well, if the locals, because it can turn on the things or something like that and can push the button that makes it make you nice gold necklaces and stuff, it's become worshipped by them, which is why it doesn't want you here. I think you've actually found a plausible example for an exalted cargo cult. Yeah. You actually have, because it's one thing that will not benefit from worship within Exalted's cosmology. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that, that's beautiful. <laughs> I like that. I like and that a yeah, lot. They, they sort of, not going to full religious worship thing so that if any pairs are immaculate, they don't start and try and kill the butler. But mm. it's the case of they know they are dependent on it because yeah. they don't know how to work any of the weird first age stuff. That can be potentially a thing as well in the yeah. early phase before the party realizes quite alpha they can sell. It's just a case. With a realm, we've got lots of clever people. We can bring them in, teach you how to push the button, make the next machine work. Yeah, and then what you then move into is a stage of the game where it's you're trying to fight the traditionalists who are just, this is the way we've always done it. This is the way it's always worked. We do not want to anger it. And yeah. therefore. And the butler as well, who doesn't want you there because yeah. he's got quite a nice deal of it right now. Yeah. The current um... clients are very pleasant. Yes. And so you've, again, got tradition versus innovation as one of the themes you can go on for, for the social level of yeah. it as, 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 the, as the next act. Yes, there is. <laughs> there you go. Here's your benefit for these, these episodes being a bit shorter than usual. You've got a, basically a two-for-one on the maker thing, given the amount of detail we've put in that. Yeah, because then you've got the question of, well, what's going to happen? Are we going to see a civil war? Are we going to have something that is going to end up with well, yeah, it's a case of pick, um, picking sides as to which is the most advantageous for your party. And then what things are going to be something for how the society functions and what obstacles. There's part of me that wonders whether it's worth putting in some local dragon-blooded aristocracy just to yeah. give more of an immediate interface or, and a if you want, mechanical challenge. If you want it as social critique, again, yeah. if you want to put that angle in there, there are dragons here, but there's because, again, there's the case of the want for nothing, yeah. There's not so much of... They're not really aristocratic. They're not really running the show. And they don't really particularly care to be. They want for nothing just like no one else does. Yeah, here. if they've got a weak enough bloodline somewhere in there. But there's just like one or two dragons who are like, yeah, whatever. Might not even fully appreciate... Might not even fully appreciate completely what they are. Yeah. They'll just think that was a magical thing that happened. And this is creation. So yeah, yeah. magical things do just sometimes yeah. happen. Yeah, it's a case of... It's a case of the the dragon-blooded on the island are the rulers wherever they spring up. 
Yeah. And but they get and they get chosen. Some. Yeah. And I think the closest written analogue you could find for it is the Sisterhood of Pearls. The stuff that's kind of based on everyone being equal and Dragon Bloody yeah. kind of doing their part and that sort of thing. But in a case where you want for nothing, there's not that much need for them as well. No. Be the case of, yeah, you you get a dragon Ooh, that could be the fun little again social critique bit of when the party land, some dragons actually do get sent to them to talk to them. Yes. That's not because they're running the show, but that's because you send the dragons to deal with outsiders because if they're trouble, then dragons are better at beat. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. And, and, it's, and the player's having to deal with that weird thing of the people who are basically, quote-unquote, running the island, they're not really running anything, are the cargo cult, piece of their team. They're the people actually who talk to the butt, which is basically yes. be a case of, do you speak old realm? <laughs> yes, which you are going to have somewhere in there just as... Again, I'm. It's feeling like the that this society would have some necessary stratification, just simply yeah. because you need to keep that old realm knowledge in there, and you need to potentially yeah. have some sort of exalted in there to interface with it on an essence level. That's, yeah. That was my thinking of why okay. you'd have dragons in there to make it work. So yeah. maybe it wouldn't be but totally flat side, and egalitarian, but you can play with actually, the ideas. As as a fun. It, again, it, it potentially could turn it into more of a combat situation. Yeah. They don't really care about the distinction between different exalts. If it's just no. wants to interface with the spirit thing. If someone exalts and can do it, great. Might be a dragon. And when, when Solas come back, yeah, Solar does it as well. Yeah. Yeah, Luna can mm. do it if we get a Luna, etc., etc. It's just sort of that case of the party having to weirdly deal with the fact of, that's a Luna, you're dragons. Why aren't you fighting? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and... That could also be another thing. If this is part of a wider game, then you can potentially plug it into one of the party's lunar antagonists finds it as well and backs to one yeah. particular side. And he's trying to prop up the little... Even better, actually, if your lunar antagonist has the same troubles you do of there's that yeah. local lunar there and they're not getting why they aren't in on the conflict we've got here. <laughs> yeah, okay, so this could equally be a lunar's game at this point. Yeah, it can, this is a game you kind of do with anyone. Solars, I think, is the hardest one, just because Solars don't have a culture. Yeah. And so Solars would just see this and think, oh, that's neat, that's cool. Whereas yeah. Lunars who have a culture, mm. Dragons who have a culture, anyone you can pull in on this who will look at humans and exalts or different exalts mm. getting along and not being a case of rigid domination of X by Y, and just go, yeah. what? Yes, <laughs> the Solars are going to be more likely to just say, right, it's going to be this way, snap. And particularly if it's a zenith, they will have the ability to just get everyone on side. I was going to say worse, it's an eclipse and they just bind the butler with a silly contract thing. But yeah, it's solars I think can't quite work for this, but basically everyone else. And I'd almost incentivize that whether you're running it as dragons or lunars, you do also have some of the other turn up. Yeah. So that you can A, have the interesting multipartite conflict here, and B, have that moment of, oh, they're just as confused as I am by what I'm seeing here. Yeah. The only issue is with that, that the instant you start introducing Lunars, is the conflict will turn violent. It's going to get physical in a way that will undermine a few of the dynamics. Yeah. That's true. Even if you don't introduce a Lunar antagonist, I like the idea of there being a genuinely local boy exalted as a Lunar, doesn't really know what Lunars are because it's an island that's far away enough that the Pact never found him. I think you have the loom threat of there might be first age defences we haven't seen yes. be the thing that stops the party from knifing him right there. But And because Lunars are just generally more powerful anyway, they will have risen 
to be high up and be the be the kind of the ongoing thing through the centuries because they will live for ages and um, and this isn't going to be a particularly fatal environment yeah and you can't kill them the instant you kill the person who's in charge or no one's going to listen to you you're a random murderer yeah you're an invader and a murderer and if there are those first age defenses, I think you should build up that paranoia probably with an NPC. Yeah. The moment if the first time the players try to go, oh, I'm going to go for something. Like, Wait a minute. Look at all that first age stuff. Have you ever seen a first age weapon going off? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you don't want to. <laughs> you don't want to take the chance. And yeah, yeah, make that paranoia there be the big thing that stops it from escalating without really good reason. Yes. And I would say that if you don't have anyone who has familiarity with first age stuff in the party, make an NPC that does. Make an NPC yeah. that knows just enough to freak out or has enough credibility that everyone will listen to them. If you like a if it's again, I'm seeing sort of small shit, you are most of the crew of it. You've got all of your guys there, uh, plus the Ladal picked up that was a that was fun. Who can just be like ah. <laughs> yes. who could just be very very scared when he sees all of that and why are yeah. you scared they've got drinks machines you can ask them for a drink and they make it it's like yes if they've got those that implies they've got the other things that the first age yeah. made <laughs> yes it gets increasingly more scared the more pleasant nice little amenities he sees he's like <laughs> every one of these i see the likelihood of there being a working weapon system goes up <laughs> yes Oh, that's, yeah, this is just a lovely, lovely little idea. Oh, so, yeah, uh, uh, now for Make a Thing 2. <laughs> yes. Because we, we spoil you here. Yes. Here's the one I planned that put the Frighteners on Aramidius here once he figured out what I was doing with it. So, we're going to go to the call. We're going to do a Venif game in the call. Yes. Uh, this is built around the pun of Venif Nam, is your intro bit here. <laughs> yes. This is based off the idea that there is a substantial contingent of unexalted Venif dynasts on Faxi. And they also have a fortress there. So, I'll plot with this one. I'll basically plot with this one. You have to have your players actually make mortals, which is always a terrifying proposition. Basically, let them be free with it as long as unexalted Venif dynast. Otherwise, they can do whatever concepts they like with it. Because being a mortal, whatever concept you go with, they're still not going to be amazing at it. No. Your primary quest here is doing the pilgrimage. So, you're going there, presumably kitted out with the best things that Venif money can buy, because the pilgrimage is important. Yes. And which, with mercenaries, I imagine, as well. So Yeah. And some mercs. If they don't have retainers, followers, command, or whatever as backgrounds, throw them at them for free, because it adds to the atmosphere. And it's also yeah. things that the GM giveth, the GM taketh away. <laughs> so, yes. So, um, use that to build up atmosphere and paranoia. So, you're going to get on your pilgrimage. Maybe session one where you get to be in, in their big cool fortress mount, have a fun time, get used to the situation here where yep. there's Kathak, there's Pelops. People kind of don't want you here, but you have a goal. If you ask for the case of why now, maybe the case of like the last little member, you had a fixed number of mercs or whatever, you knew you could take so many people instead of just mm -hmm. mercs on the pilgrimage with you. Yeah. Or the last no one arrives in on the boat. Yeah. Or just no one's heard from the last lot that were sent out and it's probably about time someone found them yeah <laughs> just as I, a pretext i would say less that one if only yeah. because that one implies the party have to all be combat built if they're the rescue team whereas if they're just going on the pilgrimage themselves some can be other specs yeah so you go out you do that and a good bulk of this is going to be adventuring along the pilgrimage you get to see all of the sites of the call go between the cities go 
on the routes between the cities have some very, very almost horror-esque sort of scenes of tension on the road where you wait for the Lunars to jump you. Maybe a few fight scenes where you take on, if you're assuming your mercs are humans, not dragons, you take on some beast men that you outnumber a load of amount, but it's still a hard fight because, yep. yeah. And also, I would make the Callborn a regular sort of feature of this because you've got all sorts of natives there that are going to be both on your side and not depending. I mean, Shaoka has been quite diligent on getting most of them on the lunar side but you can potentially have someone who is showing you the way you can have ones that aren't really sure what to make of you going through as a relatively non-combat thing you're not going through slashing and burning everything and so they'll start thinking oh do we really want to have these guys that can be some of your horror moments the kind of oh we see something moving but nothing ever actually comes of it you can use that to sort of ratchet up the tension potentially to nothing (laughs) <laughs> because they won't necessarily attack unless you do something stupid first. Yeah. And that's something stupid. The Corborn have quite a few taboos that are pretty much based on seemingly random stuff, to me anyway. Just entire non-sequiturs as to things you're supposed to not do on the call. Well, I don't have them to hand at the moment, but have a look at some of the examples that are given in the book. Uh, I want... I, it's either in the Lunar's book or it's in the, or it's in the Realm and there will be kind of a list of taboos given and signpost some of those going wrong for someone else beforehand and so that the players can kind of get a rough idea of oh this might be a cause and effect thing but don't make it explicit and so that they can think oh we know what's coming we've done the thing now ah yeah and equally if you want to be fun well add a bit of variety in there the court was already weirdly set up with its five mini elemental holes things. Have it be different ones based on where you are. And yeah. so it's the case of sometimes the party are thinking, oh god, last time we did the thing, and then they end up accidentally doing it when they're on the other side of the island with a different group of Callborn thinking, oh god, we've caused trouble. Oh, they don't care. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's going to vary tribe by tribe. Again, all of that, when you're on the road, the goal here is building tension. That's what you're here for. And equally... The other bit that you as a ref should be doing is uh, keeping a scoreboard of those forces they bring with them. Because by the end of this, you want this to be whittled down enough. They need to be losing people. Basically, so that by the end, I want them to not have any troops left. I want them to be scurrying <laughs> past the gates of the last shrine mm. as their last merc has died. Because yep. this is where the fun starts. You've had your, I imagine this <laughs> takes about four or five sessions to do this. One session for each leg of it. Oh, so you're going to put it right down to the wire of the last point, of the last city. Uh, No, I'm having the fun bit start then. The the goal here is the players think that most of this game is going to be pilgrimage. Ah. Now, we have had a bit of an ongoing joke here about the mythological call episode that will happen as the final thing we ever do of this podcast. (laughs) Oh, no, it's not going to be the final thing. (laughs) But anyway... It's going to, it, it, because it requires every single other piece of law to be explained for my ideas <laughs> on the call to make sense. Right. <laughs> so, this requires... I'm going to say things, and I will provide some explanation, but because we don't have enough time for an entire other episode, this may not make too much sense if you are not at least familiar with some second edition law. Okay. The crux of my conspiracy theories with the call, tie it to Autochthon. Tie it to the alchemicals. <laughs> it is very clearly artificially made. It has a microcosm of creation itself with its whole little five poles, all of these other fun things. It is the head thing on a baby. 
<laughs> which probably means it's going to be something. I also like the idea of making it the seal of eight divinities instead of Autochthon being out in space. Hmm. Now, uh, that made no sense to most of you. Wait several years until we get to Autochthon and then <laughs> it will all make sense. Uh, I'm not sure about that because I'm not sure about involving Autochthon because... I'm not directly the, involving him. You're not cracking it open. The call is very specifically between Luna and Gaia. So yeah. okay, I, if you I want... don't know quite how that would fit is my only beef. Simple one. You're saying between Luna and Gaia. It's got Luna's guardians on it because her girlfriend said that she wanted guardians on. Yeah. Gaia is interested in this. Gaia has one thing in common with Big A that no one else does that might mean she would pay very special attention to this place. Mm-hmm. He's the only brother that she's got that isn't completely mutilated, turned inside out, and killed. This is true. He is the last living member of her family. Oh. And if we track with the old second thing of he's kind of breaking down and sick, yeah. that's it, that's the cap. This is protecting him. Yeah. So, what the players Or get something to- that's made to, fi- Help. to fix him as part of... Yeah. yeah. It's part of a healing thing. Basically, mm. my diagram here, creation is a flat world. Uh, I'm sorry to spoil this for you now, people. That is a call. It's his. Mm, okay. He's all he's all busted and sick, and that's her trying to help him. Proper... What do you call them in nature? Those those funny, gross bags that have call in on baby. Amniotic sac, there we uh, go. Yes. In which he is. Oh. And that's the bit that's poking up. She's trying to make it all that... Uh, you don't even need to force this because with the call there are always going to be themes of children and childhood and, and, and all of that and new life because yeah. that's what the call's about. So, uh, the player's going to do this. They'll finally made their pilgrimage. They don't have the mercs to make the return trip. So you're going to have a session, I'd imagine, of sort of lingering in the last city trying to think, oh god, what do we do? What do we do? What do we do? You panic, you fear, there are lunas about, you're hiding in the shrine. You're all tense, you're all spooked. Maybe even do some stealth things around the city if you've got a player who likes stealth. Ladies and gentlemen, I want the players to find a vat. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, oh. I want to put the players in a vat. <laughs> okay, I thought I knew where you were going, but keep going. Yeah, no, no, uh, no, I'm not having them. I'm not doing the Iron Giant. Yeah. That's old hat. Yeah, okay. Now, how you do this, there's a couple of ways. You can either have it be vague prophecy in Old Realm and things like that that are actually just instructions, but the people are reading it as vague prophecy because even for Old Realm, this is going to be written in an archaic style. Um, or you can have the slightly funnier, oh god, I hear them coming, quick hide in the cupboard manoeuvre and just jump in. Uh, a vat for quick reference. It's going to be a big, vaguely mechanical thing. Do not describe it in industrial terms. They don't have the, the characters don't have the reference. Try and Come up with a way to describe it that would make, for someone who doesn't have the vocabulary of factories, to describe an industrial machine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Basically enough so that the players, if your players have read up in, on enough second edition Autochthonia lore that they don't realise what they're doing yet. Um, because I think what will happen here, when you get your players, you get your players going in. This leans more on how third says they work than how fair. Because in pure second edition paradigm, Jumping in, that won't do any. An alchemical is made fresh. They they don't have people parts in. Now, third likes to make everyone a bit more relatable. Third likes to make everyone a bit more human. Cyborg, you get yourself 
fucked up. You as a ref, I feel, should basically... After you've had a few sessions on that pilgrimage, so you know where your player characters are going, and this one does require you to do some homebrewing of your own, because I don't think we're getting alchemicals. Potentially ever, but... I wouldn't even make it alchemicals, even if we were able to yeah, have you're alchemicals. Because this true won't alchemical. be a true alchemical. You're kind of something else. Yeah. Yeah, you're kind of... Be your Chronicles of Darkness, be a uh, sort of World of Darkness, Chronicles of Darkness thing. You're not really an alchemical, you're more a ghoul to the alchemicals vampire. Yes. And sorry, um, just to unpack how I'm thinking about this, this is an explanation for the dragon-blooded travels to the Lost City, and they will then always produce dragon-blooded children. That's a garbled... They've been upgraded! Yeah, that's a garbled version of the upgrade process. Yes, and but, it, that is a genuine side effect of it, uh, yeah. that, that you do this, it, because it implants you. It'll implant yeah. you with the old with the old alchemical gem, which is basically just going to give you a shed load of essence, which will mean you will get dragon-blooded children. Um, Maybe. But you I mean, them- that feels playing a bit fast and loose yeah. with it because it's the wrong type of essence, but yeah. I can kind of see it working. I mean, if you want to hand wave it, but yeah. Yeah, and it's old Magitek, and also yeah. we need the mythology, which they've said is true to work and tie in with the I really like this being tied to Wartokthon and a last <laughs> attempt to save your family thing. Because elsewhere... I think is the biggest casualty of 3rd edition. We know there is still going to be a Malpheus. We know there is still going to be an Underworld. We know all of that. I don't think there'll still be an Elsewhere. So this is, I think, the way they could do this. But anyway, you do this. You as a ref, after you've had a few sessions and you know your character sheets, you know what what your players are after, you should come up with a few sort of fun buffs and or charms or whatever. However hard you want to make this an upgrade. And when they do this, you basically give your players these and be like, you can have these on your sheet now, which should be some extra dots, some nice chunkiness, some fun buff things that make them equivalent enough that they can actually now just take these things on. Yes. And it's the case of that last session, you have the struggle of what the hell am I trying to deal with the newness of what you are and what has happened, especially if it tries to tell you something. But yes. You get the genuinely triumphant trying to return home, and when the lunar or the beastman thinks, and don't make it the big man himself, that's cheap, but make it some lunar that is there, tries to jump you because why the hell haven't my beastmen gotten you yet? that the players can finally triumphantly take him on and boom, take him out. Yes. And I would also have this, because we're saying do this with do this with mortals, make this yeah. quite apparent. And I don't know quite how you would frame this because a lot of the pathos is internal. It's the kind of the sense of, I thought I was going to exalt, I didn't, and now I have what I wanted all along. Yeah. I think you, you need have to, to sort of make those sort of things. Along the pilgrimage, really, yeah. of the case of, almost if you want to be reinforcing the themes of the call, when you're going with people, if you make it a more common thing, again, it requires a little law tweak, because as written, it seems to be normal that only dragons make the pilgrimage. Yes. But if you make it a mortal thing, and a lot of it is, make it not just House of Anif that does this, that lots of houses send their write-offs over here to go and do it, so if you were a failure, at least your children might not be. And it's that sort of thing. You can build that up with NPCs they encounter along the pilgrimage and the like, of that sort of sense of, I'm done, but there's something greater that can come out of this. Yes. And then at the end of it, you get that, I am the something greater that comes out of this. <laughs> yes. And depend and depending on quite how much you want to go in for body horror, you can also then make it that you're getting orders from somewhere else, that you get the sort of the more autochthonian way of doing things that programming... You basically give your players an old second edition clarity track in the last yeah. session. Programming starts to intrude. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, ooh, and that's the fun. Yeah. yeah. You, you do get to go home and have your happily ever after bit, 
but you do as an epilogue of the rest of after you've had so much time, maybe after you had the time to sort of build a family, raise a family, you've got, got your exalted kids in the house, took them away and all that. You just started felt compelled to go back. Yes. And then there's a case of you go back. There's different aspects of the factory cathedral. I, I don't know how much you would hand wave the journey as the thing, because the journey before was big and scary, whereas now now it's less scary. I would I would but... almost make it a different thing. I would make mm-hmm. it a completely different way of the trip happening. Okay. The first time, you took the pilgrimage route. Yes. This time, you A, know where you're going, and B, if you want to have funky one with it, and again, adding in the what the hell, where's this information coming from, you know if you just walk into the jungle there and take two lefts and a right, you'll end up on that back on that bit of path. Yeah, okay. Like, you don't know how you know that, but you know that. And yeah. That weird, creepy programming thing of maybe just make it the case of the players, the reason they were upgraded, they did whatever they did, but the actual function they are to serve there is basically to just protect, maintain, sit around here, make sure it doesn't get broken. They are guards until something comes to give them orders. That's their standby. Yeah, and then, well... Yeah, you can play around with precisely what gives them orders. and I'd almost say that you sort of vaguely menacingly mm. leave it off there, if only because I see a true game that answers the cool question definitively with the full autochthon reveal and all the other stuff. The Lotus Crusade. I see Crusade. that as being a kind of, yeah, Lotus Crusade, almost end-of-the-world scenario. Yeah. But if you then ever decide to do that, which if you're running this, you probably are, mm-hmm. that's when, if you've got the same players, you to then give them back the old character sheets. <laughs> or have their new players meet their old characters who are yeah, coming the along antagonists. In, now in fancy uniforms and all of that alongside their, their new Alki friend. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that works. It's, it's a great little setup thing. And I'll admit, it's, it's not for everyone. It requires you to be the sort of storyteller that likes doing entire games that are set up for other games. I am exactly that kind of storyteller and my players are completely used to it and I might even do this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I also, because they've listened to this and they'll know the twist. I'll do a slightly different... It also requires some degree of buy-in to how the second edition alchemicals work yeah. and some slight fudging with to, how the core second, works. Alchemicals have never quite not uh, worked like that. Even with what Bird uh, tells us of it, they, it just doesn't give us answers. First and second enough. alchemicals were both quite like that. Okay. And third, the only things that we know about them are they're not getting orders anymore and they're basically trying to follow the last thing they remember having to do. Oh, yeah. Which tracks for how the old ones would do it as well if they got cut off. Pretty much, yeah. I like Alkies. When we finally get to an Autochthonia episode, it's going to be great. Yeah, it will be It'll fun. It'll be like when I was talking about the Rose Black, but more. <laughs> yes, it will be very fun. But with that, I think we are about there with this kind of, again, otherworldly finish to a Venif game. But yes, I do hope you've enjoyed this meander through everything that you can do with Venifs and more at the end of it, because this sprawled into a much larger game concept as things are want to do hey, when we get started. parallels with Venif and Nellens. What happened with our Nellens game? Yes, okay, yes, the Nellens game worked <laughs> exactly the same way but yes we do hope you've enjoyed listening if you have please do give us a review wherever you're listening let us know how we're getting on if you have any questions to ask us drop us an email at wondrousatlas at gmail.com if you want to support us do buy things through drive through rpg with the affiliate links which are in the description or the show notes depending on how you're listening whether podcast or video or whatever and do join us next time where we will be discussing the immaculate order and all of the things you can do 
do with those monkey folk. But yes, dude, in the meantime, thank you ever so much for cracking open the Wondrous Atlas of Creation's Destiny with us. Goodbye. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Wondrous Atlas of Creation's Destiny, an exalted podcast presented by Aramethius and Rails. Check out the show notes and story seeds from this episode at wondrousatlas.wordpress.com and if you have any questions, drop us an email at wondrousatlas at gmail.com. The opening music for this podcast is Travelling to the Blessed Isle by James Semple and the closing music is Exploring Creation, also by James Semple. Both tracks are taken from the album Exalted, Dreams of the Second Age and are property of Onyx Path Publishing, used with permission. (laughs) 